Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Tim, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, you know, I love it. I love the stories when people have their prayers answered, don't you? you? But you love it whenever you've been asking God for something for some period of time, and then finally you begin to see things happen. It just uh, builds your faith. It builds your uh, confidence in God, and also the fact that, hey, it makes a difference talking to God. But you know what, what about those seasons or what about those times when uh, it doesn't seem like the answer's coming? I mean, you've been at it for a, a really long time. You've been asking God. You believe God is good. And, and for, you know, for some amount of time, you're just not seeing it. I mean, did you ask wrong? Is there like some combination that you have to like dial in just the right words, just the right... Uh, way of saying it to God to get his attention. Uh, does God not care? I mean, what is God wanting from you? You keep praying, and it just seems like God can be silent at times. and like Maybe he's unavailable. Like, uh, like Elijah you know, said to the Baal prophets, What's, where's your God? You know, is he like busy somewhere else, and he can't come down for you right now? Uh, where is God when you, really, when you really need him, when you really want him to answer your prayer. Um, most of you in here probably know who Ted Turner is. Uh, you know who I'm talking about, the founder of CNN. Quite a character, and uh, heard a lot of stories about Mr. Turner, and uh, watched a, a documentary on him a few weeks ago. And uh, Ted, you might not know, Ted was raised in a Christian family, and uh, when he was very young, he actually wanted to be a missionary. And his mom and his dad were Christians, and he didn't, his dad was in business, but he didn't want to go into business like his dad. He wanted to be a missionary. This was when he was around 14 years old or so. About that same time that he was around 14 or 15 years old, his sister, Mary Jane, developed lupus. And she was a couple of years younger than, than he was, and she developed lupus and got very, very sick. And Ted prayed and prayed every day for his sister. He would come home from school, and he would hear his sister in the bedroom screaming in pain and throwing up from the medicine. And and every day he would come in, and he would sit with his sister, hold her hand, and pray and ask God, please heal my sister, heal my sister, heal my sister. And, And she wasn't healed. She died eventually. And then... um. Ted's father, at 53 years of age, come, gets up one morning, has breakfast with his wife, and goes upstairs and kills himself. That's the background of Ted Turner. And of course, if you followed Ted, you know there was a place in his life where he was extremely bitter toward Christianity and towards God, and very sarcastic and very uh, attacking and and uh, in the last few years, he's come around a little bit. He's, he uh, actually read a quote where he said, well, you know, Christianity has done a lot of good, and they seem to be able to mobilize quickly and help people, so why don't we use them? 
<laughs> Why don't we use them to, to really, you know, help people? And so he's kind of, you know, Ted's kind of coming around, but Ted kind of lost his faith during that period of time in his mid-teens, and he even said this. He said, I was taught that God was love and God was powerful, and I couldn't understand how someone so innocent, talking about his sister, should be made or allowed to suffer so. Sometimes our prayers don't seem to get answered. It seems like heaven is quiet. And uh, I mean, I, people say, man, this was like a bummer sermon this morning. It's like I came in here for like faith, prayer, and Tim's going like sometimes. Even like it feels, but hey, I'm just, just being real. Is it not true? I mean, if you're going to be honest about it, there are times when you pray and you pray and you pray and you pray. And then some things happen and you go, what happened, God? I mean, why aren't you moving? Why aren't you, why aren't you acting and doing what I, what I believe you should be acting like and doing? Well, there's a guy over in the Bible named Paul who wrote a good portion of the New Testament. And Paul, as we've said so many times here in the church, was a strict Jewish leader at one time. And God apprehended him, changed him. He used to attack Christians, tried to kill them. Uh, that was his mission in life, was to attack and kill the church, the early church. And, uh, and then God, in his sovereignty and in his mercy, apprehended Paul on the road. And uh, just Jesus came to him and just re- exposed his glory to him and called him to serve him. And Paul did a 180 and went from attacking the church to serving the church and being the most, the, uh, the most influenced in the early church of anyone, without a doubt. And, uh, and so we're going to read a story this morning about Paul, the Apostle Paul, where he had prayed and he had prayed and he had prayed and he had asked God to do a particular thing in his life, but it wasn't happening. And I think if anybody can teach us something and tell us something about prayer, maybe Paul can help us understand, is there a time when we, we finally quit? praying about a certain thing or do we give up and so uh you know let me read the scripture we're over in second corinthians the 12th chapter second corinthians 12 8 through 9 if you got your bibles you can flip over there that'd be great second corinthians 12 8 through 9 let's read this and uh we'll pray and we'll we'll jump into it three times i pleaded with the lord to take it away from me But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Father, I pray your blessing on your word this morning. Holy Spirit, would you come and breathe life on it? I thank you, Lord, that you have not left us without direction, without comfort, uh, without an answer to many of the questions we have, Lord. Your scripture is, is there for us, and we pray that it, you would open it up. Because, Lord, in this room this morning, there are many of us who have prayed for so many things, and maybe we're in the middle of this prayer. Maybe we're at the beginning, uh, wherever we are in praying for something that we desperately want to see happen, Lord. We pray for your understanding, and and we ask for the word to be opened up to us. Holy Spirit, breathe life on your word. Help me this morning. 
Help me, Lord, this morning to bring your word. And we welcome you, Holy Spirit, here. Come and teach us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, obviously, from reading this, Paul had something that he had wished that God uh, would take away from him, that he would be able to get rid of it, that, that God would come and do something. Now, there's been all kind of speculation over what exactly that was that Paul was praying about. And I think it's very interesting that we really don't know. that The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what he was struggling with. Now, there's been all kind of supposition and all from his life, like he may have had epilepsy. Uh, some, uh, some of the old uh, writers and theologians said that. Uh, some of them, because of some other comments that he said, um, some of them believe it was just agitators in the local church he had to deal with. <laughs> you know, that this was a pastor dealing with people who didn't like some of the things he was doing and some of the directions he was giving. And so he was constantly having to deal with that. And he was praying, Lord, take this away from me. And it wasn't happening. A um, lot, of, lot of people believe he had an eye problem that maybe he couldn't see really well, and he had some kind of disease. Maybe he had surfer's eye, you know. And his eyes were like so sunburned that now they were red and he couldn't see. I, I, feel, I feel his pain there. And uh, maybe he had a speech impediment. A lot of people believe that, that when he spoke, that uh, people had a hard time understanding him and following him. Uh, people think he might have had malaria. He had a disease or leprosy or some form of hysteria uh, or depression that came upon him, and, and he had to deal with that, and migraine headaches. Uh, whatever it was, it was painful enough that Paul prayed that God would take it from him, that God would heal him from it. I believe it was a physical sickness. I, I believe it was something that uh, maybe his eyes or some pain in his body that uh, because of his travels, because this guy traveled, man, I mean, you know, and the travel wasn't easy back in this day. I mean, the boat trips he would take, the walking, so much walking that he had to do, that I believe there was something probably that caused him great pain when he was doing his missionary journeys and planting all of these churches. And he was like, you know, it would really be nice if I was healed from this, God, if you would just take this away from me so it wouldn't be so hard. And we know he'd had lived a very difficult life anyway, and he'd paid a, a heavy price. If you just look over in chapter 11... And just on the next, you know, the page over, went back from, from where you are now. In 2 Corinthians 11, we read things like this, that he was put in prison, that he was flogged, that he was exposed to death over and over again, that five times he was beat within an inch of his life. Five times. Three times beaten with rods, pelted with stones. Three times shipwrecked. Lost at sea, constantly on the move unless somebody would kill him. I mean, there were threats against his life constantly. And that he worked really hard. I found that interesting in the list. Like, I'm a hard worker. I'm really pouring myself out for what I believe. And, and that he'd gone without sleep. He'd gone without food and water. He'd been cold. He'd been without proper clothing on the journey. And then, of course, he had that burden for all these new churches that he was planning and that he was starting up. And he carried that weight on his shoulders constantly and and so he carried all of this in his life and now he had something that was affecting him where he you know if I was Paul it would be like going to him and going really Lord I mean really I mean I, I mean look what I've been through for the cause of Christ and now look can't you take can't you just take this away can't you just heal this can't you just 
take, I mean, look at all, everything else. Really, Lord? Please. And uh, as you read through the 11th and 12th chapter, you realize that Paul, in the midst of all of the price that he paid, he had also had these amazing experiences with God. That in his prayer time and in his ministry time, he, he had had this experience, uh, the, the vision yeah, a vision, and it's so funny when you read this because he talks in the third person about it. Did you notice that? That if you read, you guys ever read this? It's like really good. It, it's really fascinating and good stuff. But if you read, read this about the vision, you know, he had this vision, but he's like, most people would brag about their spiritual experiences. I mean, all you got to do is turn the television on and see this, right? And Paul is like, I'm not going to brag about it, but I know somebody. I know somebody who had this incredible experience. I'm, and, and, and God just revealed all kinds of things, but I'm not going to tell you who it is. And I'm not going to tell you what it was. Because I don't want to draw attention to myself, basically. Paul's like, I don't want you to make a God out of me. I don't want you looking at me. I want you looking at God. And so I'm not going to draw attention to my experiences as much as I am to who God is. And, and then he goes into this thing, this thorn in the flesh that he's had, that, he, that he's asked God to, to remove from him. And so um, I want to just, you've got to fill in today. It's a little bit of an esoteric fill in, but sometimes it comes like that. And uh, uh, just some of the things we can learn from Paul, from the scripture this morning, about is there ever a time when we give up with our prayer? Is there ever a time when we finally say, okay, God, okay. So here's the thing. Before you ever even consider giving up, remember this, there has to be a beginning to your prayer first. You got to start praying first. Some people stop before they start. Paul says that he prayed three times. Now, when he said three times, I don't believe this means he just prayed three times. It means that there was a completeness to it. There was, there was a beginning to it. Because this revelation he had was 14 years earlier, if you read all of this in here. And I believe probably for 14 or more years, Paul had been dealing with this thing in his life. For the same amount of time that he had had the blessing and he had been doing the ministry and he'd had these experiences... He also had to struggle with this thorn in the flesh, this thing that was buffeting him and, and trying to bring him down and stop him from doing what he was called to do. So before you ever think, I'm ready to give up on my prayers, let me ask you this, have you even started yet? There has to be a beginning before you ever evaluate whether it's time to shift. Have you started? Paul did this. Like I said, I believe he started praying to have this removed from him probably at least 14 years earlier. And as you consider whether it's time to stop, consider first, did you start? You ask people when we struggle with things, we say, well, have you, have you prayed about it? Oh, yeah, you know, I prayed, you know, I asked God and he didn't do anything. No, no. Did you have a beginning to the process? How many of you found out that praying is a process many times? It's, it's yeah, it's, it's like, it's almost like, you wrestle with this uh, spiritual atmosphere of trying to, you know, to see that something comes to pass, that, that God's will comes to pass, that it doesn't just happen. 
that there is a process in it. And before we give up, before we even begin to think that, hey, you know what? I'm giving up. God didn't answer my prayers. Let's make sure we started. Let's make sure we had a beginning. Let's don't give up before we start. Let's don't have this fatalistic posture. Well, he's God and he can answer when he wants to. Well, you know, if he was God, he would answer my prayer when I ask him. Really? All the other weeks that we've been talking about prayer, we know this is a process and that it, sometimes it's almost like doing battle, not with God, but with, with the devil and with the forces that try to keep the kingdom, the rule and the reign of God, from coming in our life. And so we have to persevere. We pray without ceasing, the scripture says. You keep praying, you keep praying. Did you start praying? Have you started? Do you have a beginning in your prayer? Can you look back on your situation or whatever it is you're asking of God for someone or for yourself and go, I know when I started praying for that. I started praying for that 14 years ago. Do you have a beginning? First question. Second is, do you have a middle in it? (laughs) Do you know you're in the process? He said three times, and I believe that three times is the beginning. And then there's a middle, like you're, you're praying along and it's been some time. And you're going, man, you know what? I just wish God, well, I'm going to keep, I'm going to persevere. I'm going to keep praying. And so you press on. Do you know when you're in the middle of that seeking God and asking God to move? There is a middle to our prayer process. I imagine seven years into this, Paul was going, okay, this is going to take a little longer than I expected. This is going to take a little longer than I expected. So uh, let me settle in. That's what happens in the middle of about anything, isn't it? I mean, we kind of settle in. We finally go, okay, I'm in it for the duration. I realize now that uh, this is going to be a process. And, uh, and so, Lord, I accept, you know, I'm praying every day. I'll pray every day for this, and I'll ask you for this every day. And uh, I think that's good to go back and, and just ask yourself that. Do I have a beginning? Do I know that I'm in the middle of it? And then the other one is, of course, there's an end. Three times Paul prayed, and then finally he, you know, something changed. How did Paul know when it was time to stop praying to have that thorn removed? How did he know? Well, he had a beginning, he had a middle, and now he knew it was the end. And how did he know? Look in the, it says that, The Lord said, but he said, but he said to me, Jesus said to me, in verse 9, but he said to me, and that is, you know what happens in our prayers when we're we're persevering? We begin to hear God's voice a lot clearer in it. And Paul, after going through the beginning of praying for this, after going through the middle of this, he gets to a place in his life where now he can hear the voice of God and he hears Jesus speaking to him. Nobody can tell you when it's time to shift your focus unless the Lord speaks to you. Some people kind of tell you, keep going, give up, or whatever. But until the Lord speaks to you and says he's going to do something different, then you persevere. And that's what Paul did. He kept praying, and he kept praying, and he kept praying until he recognized Jesus' voice telling him to do something different. And Jesus doesn't come to Paul and go, oh, what a loser, you know. Man, if you had any faith, Paul, this thorn would have been gone a long time ago. That's not the voice he hears, is it? 
And that's not the voice you will hear either. And if anybody speaks to you like that, any voice speaks to you like that, it's not God speaking to you. That's the enemy speaking to you. Jesus doesn't speak to you like, loser, you know, he's not doing that. He's not doing that to you. He's in the journey with you, leading you, working with you. And Paul is persevering in prayer. He started his prayer. He's been fighting it out in the middle and praying. And now he's come to a point where he begins to hear the Lord speak to him. I really think journaling, uh, if you don't do it, I think it's a wonderful way to be able to, to journal out what God might be saying to you. Sit down with a notebook and, and when you're asking God for something and begin to just journal out what you sense the Lord doing in your life and speaking to you. And I want to say, if you're, not a, if you're not a follower of Christ and you're here today, what I'm talking about is our life as followers of Christ. This is a part of who we are. This is a part of the Holy Spirit living within us, our conversations with God, our asking God to do things in our life and to come and intervene, and He does, and He does miraculous things at times, and He's always working in our life. But we have a relationship with Jesus. It's not this, you know, He's way up there and we're here. It's He's inside of us. His Spirit dwells within us, and He's conversing with us, and He loves us, and He's our friend, and he's our Lord as well. And so we have this process of relationship going on in prayer where we're learning to hear him. And Paul finds a place through all of this, maybe 14 or more years of praying, where he begins to hear Jesus speaking to him. And you wonder, you go, God, what are you doing? You haven't answered. You're not answering my prayer. And how sweet it is when suddenly the voice of Jesus begins to, to be heard in your heart. And Jesus just doesn't do this. Notice in this response. Jesus doesn't go, No! <laughs> I, I, he didn't say that. You know? He didn't, matter of fact, I don't... Jesus usually uses, like, he economy of words... Have you ever noticed? Jesus is really good with his words. It doesn't take a whole lot to say what he wants to say. I mean, there's one sentence here that Paul gives us that Jesus said to him. And the word no is not in there, but there is an explanation of what's going on and where we move from here. So Jesus doesn't come in the midst of that trial and that praying and goes, no. What did Jesus say to you? He said, no. What else? That's it. He just said, no, I'm not going to do that in your life. I'm not. But that's not the way Jesus leaves us. Because we have a relationship with him. Because he speaks to us. He's at work in our life in every aspect, even in the tough situations. We have a beginning to our prayers. We have a middle in our prayers where we're travailing and we're asking God. And, and there is a place where we may come to the end of praying a certain way for something. As we get more information from him, as he begins to reveal to us what he's doing in our life, he doesn't just say no. Jesus brings provision with this change. When he tells him that, hey, you know what? What you've been asking for is not going to happen, but here's what is going to happen. It's just not a no. It's here. I give you this. And what does he give him? Grace. Grace. 
And notice this, my grace, not your grace, not your ability to suck it up and push through, but his grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. That may not be what Paul wanted to hear. But God's grace was sufficient. And I think there's a reason he mentioned all of the things that he had, all the trials and all the stuff he had been through over in chapter 11. Because I think he reflected once he got that word, my grace is sufficient. He thinks back to the shipwrecks. He thinks back to the beatings. He thinks back to the jail and the prison. And he goes, you know what? Your grace was sufficient in all of those, Lord. Of course it's going to be sufficient in this. Your grace was sufficient to carry me through all of that. I could have quit at any time. I could have been killed at any time. But your grace was sufficient as he reflects back on where God was with him and through the very tough times. My grace is sufficient. And let's just face it. Grace You can't see the grace of God in a person's life unless it has a weak platform to be presented on. It has has to have some form of weakness displayed for God's grace to be seen. Otherwise, it's our strength. Otherwise, it's us, what we can do, what we can do, what we can do. But in our weakness... When we come to the end of it all and we keep asking and it's not happening and then Jesus says, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to heal that. But my grace is going to be sufficient for you. That is provision in the midst of it. And that gives you a platform for others to see the grace of God in your life. But now, accepting that, don't, don't misunderstand. He had prayed three times, a beginning, a middle, and at the end, he had prayed a long time, I believe, for God to heal him from this. But in the process, he learned to hear God's voice. And in the process, he heard Jesus say, my grace is sufficient for you. And Jesus says, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is the upside-down kingdom. You know, if you want to be first, you learn to serve. Upside down. The smallest will be the greatest. Where there is a need for grace, the grace will be poured out and people will see it. In the weakness, God will see, people will see God's power and strength. This is so kingdom. (laughs) And it's so anti-us, right? (laughs) Because we want it, we want it everything good and we want it now. And Jesus comes and says, my power is perfected in your weakness. And that was enough for Paul. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9, but we have this treasure, that is the Holy Spirit, Jesus, in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, what's going on? But not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. This is the miraculous presence of grace 
in our lives. And our weakness, when our prayers don't seem to be getting answered, is a great opportunity for God's glorious grace to be poured out. At the end of your prayer, at that place where you think you're coming to the end of it, is the opportunity for God's grace to be just lavished on you, poured out on you. Paul wanted an answer just like you do. He wanted it. He prayed long and hard for it. Paul didn't glamorize this thorn. He didn't promote, you know, the fact that, look at me, I'm suffering for Jesus. He didn't, he didn't do that. Because grace doesn't do that. Paul didn't promote his own willpower. Suck it up, you can do it, walk it out, you know. He doesn't promote denying the pain. I don't feel bad, I don't feel bad, I don't feel bad, I don't feel bad. Man, this really hurts. Oh, man, you know, it's, I have grace to live through this. I have grace from Christ to live through this. He doesn't glorify suffering. Paul doesn't go, suffering must be good, so bring it on. Bring me more suffering, Lord. Nobody prays that, right? It's like, bring, bring it on, bring it on. No, he begins to realize that the pain is the platform for Christ to put on display his grace in his life. And that grace was sufficient. It was enough for him to live his life and live it well. Your last fill-in there is, you know what, there may be a beginning, a middle, and an end, but grace wins. Grace wins. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon, you've heard me mention him many, many times in here because any, any preacher that has studied preaching eventually gets around to Spurgeon. In the 1800s, preached to 10,000 people at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. Um, great preacher. He's called the Prince of Preachers. That was his nickname. But Spurgeon had severe bouts of depression. I mean, I've read so many stories about him of, of people having to prop him up, deacons having to go get him and bring him into the pulpit and bring him in and, and like, put him there. And then they would stand in the back behind, uh, you know, back in the back praying for him, sustaining him in prayer. And the Holy Spirit would just work through him as tens of thousands of people would come to Christ and come to know Jesus. He had gout for a lot. If you've ever had, I haven't, thank God, but if you've ever had gout, you know that it's extremely painful and he had the point where he couldn't even put his socks on because the, the socks touched his toes or his feet. He would be in so much pain, he would just writhe in pain. And so he had to deal with that and stand in the pulpit for an hour while he preached. His own fellow pastors would ridicule him, scorn, and write letters to him, letters to the newspaper and attack him right and left. And he had a wife who was an invalid that he cared for for most of their marriage. I mean, this man, this prince of preachers, had some prayer requests. He had some prayer requests. And, uh, you know, concerning the depressions that he had, has, I should have brought the book. I, it's in my office. He, his lectures to his students. It's a fascinating reading where he talks to young preachers about his life and 
He says this in the book. This depression comes over me whenever the Lord is preparing a larger blessing for my ministry. The cloud is black before it breaks and overshadows before it yields its deluge of mercy. Depression has now become to me as a prophet in rough clothing, a John the Baptist, heralding the nearer coming of my Lord's richer blessings. Wow. Oh, my word. How do you get to a place like that? How do you get to a place? Spurgeon goes on to say this, Serve God with all your might while the candle is burning. And then when it goes out for a season, you will have the less to regret. Be content to be nothing, for that is what you are. When your own emptiness is painfully forced upon your consciousness, chide yourself that you ever dreamed of being full except in the Lord. Man, there is a place of grace at the end of your prayers that you will only find if you begin, you persevere, and you come to this place where the Lord finally speaks to you about it. You can't give up before you start. You can't give up in the middle. And you have to have hearing ears at the end to hear His voice. And there is always grace at the end of that prayer request. Always. Paul took the no, even though he never said no. He said, here's my grace. Here's the answer to your prayer. My grace. Here it is. But he took that and he reframed it in a way to say, okay, this is the way the Lord is going to keep me from being prideful. He's given me a thorn in my side that he's not going to remove so I can remember who I am, that I am but flesh. I am no superhuman. I'm just a man that Jesus has redeemed. And I put myself at his disposal to be used. His grace is sufficient for me. And his power is perfected in my weakness. You're in a room full of people this morning who wish they could pray every pain away you're in a room this morning with people who have suffered loss who are going through questions with God right now who have some of you in here have been praying a long time for something someone or you know and listen this doesn't apply to some situations I can't cover all the bases in here with this this had to deal with an affliction he was dealing with in his life there are some things we know that we just stay at and stay at. It's God's will that none should perish, right? So we keep praying for people to come to Christ. We don't give up on that. We never give up on that. We keep pressing on and on and on in that. But sometimes there are things going on in our life that God is after something much more deeper and that will have a further influence in our life and others if he answers it a different way. You're in a room full of people like that. There's not a single person sitting in this seat today, in any seat in here today, who doesn't have questions for God. You're in the right place. Every one of us have been asking God for something. Let's not give up. Let's not give up until we hear the voice of God directing us a different way. And until the provision of grace comes to go a different way and to accept it. And when it comes, you will know it. Let's pray. 
We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.